the state of medical wearables. I'm Tanya Hall, and joining me is Dr. Rosalind Picard, professor at the MIT Media Lab, co-founder of Effectiva, co-founder, chief scientist, and chairman of Empatica. Welcome, Dr. Picard. Thank you. Pleased to be here with you. Of course. Thanks for joining us. Tell us the mission of Empatica and why you co-founded the company. The, the mission is really to bring technology, medical quality technology to improve people's lives. The uh, original founding was a bit of a surprise uh, or based on a surprise finding. I was working on technology to help understand stress in people who have a hard time talking. And so we gave them a wearable sensor we built to read out their stress uh, that they could share with friends or family members or teachers who were stressing them out and maybe not realizing it. And one of our uh, participants had a massive seizure and I didn't know it at the time. I was just back looking at the data. And later I realized that this weird data I was seeing was actually not a problem with our sensor. It was somebody having a grand mal seizure, a big neurological event. Uh, and when I learned that those are also deadly sometimes, not usually, uh, but they can be deadly. They're the um, number one cause of death in epilepsy. And I realized that alerts and having people there might save lives. We decided we had to get this out of our lab and not just focus on stress, uh, but get it out there in a form that might help save lives. And thus Empatica was born. What's the state of the art today in medical wearables? Is the data they capture still a rough approximation of what medical professionals both obtain in lab or office exams, or have they evolved to provide detailed, actionable data for patients' healthcare? Yeah, there has been quite a revolution. You, I'm sure people have seen the consumer wearables that went from measuring just motion and calling it steps on up to getting FDA cleared uh, you call it FDA cleared, not approved when it's hardware, uh, you know, algorithms that do uh, things like estimating uh, problems with uh, atrial fibrillation, right? So now we've gone from things that were really just shake detectors to FDA cleared devices and, and algorithms that measure things that are considered diagnostic in medicine. Uh, Empatica has FDA clearance. They're the first company to get FDA clearance for a smartwatch and it's monitoring for these grand mal seizures known as generalized tonic-clonic seizures. Uh, that requires a level of quality that is much higher than the consumer wearables. What are some of the recent breakthroughs that have helped push the technology forward? And what challenges do we face today on which you're working now? I, I think some of the biggest breakthroughs have come because the uh, wearables have gotten to where they can store massive amounts of high quality data and they're comfortable enough to wear long term. So we can start to see patterns and capture things that we didn't even know were going to happen that are medically significant. And when we capture those things and we apply AI machine learning, we didn't used to call machine learning AI, but now, now of course, that's the buzz. Uh, so when we apply the signal processing, the machine learning to these data, and find these patterns, we're starting to see a lot of medically significant things, not only when they happen, but we're starting to see patterns that can actually predict when these things are going to happen. And I find that a lot more exciting than just uh, detecting a particular signal. How has COVID pushed the industry? COVID has uh, caused everything to flip upside down, as everybody knows. Uh, in this industry, 
it, it's interesting. We were actually working on what I thought was a nutty idea years ago. I had seen in some of my electrodermal activity data, which people originally thought was just like sweat data, you know, you know, if you're not sweating, it's low. If you're sweating due to stress or heat and humidity, it might be high. Uh, but we were noticing, again, from this long-term data that there were actually really interesting patterns in that. And some of the patterns during sleep, I noticed changed when uh, people got sick the next day. And I thought, you know, is this just coincidence or what? And I started talking to other researchers about it. Well, lo and behold, years ago, we launched an initiative to see if we could forecast if you were getting sick. And it was a, people thought I was a bit loopy. I'm used to that. <laughs> but we went ahead with it. Duke jumped in and got super high quality data with government funding. Um, later, Columbia joined us and HHS joined in. And we got a lot of flu data, H1N1, you know, the piggy flu, rhinovirus. And we're working really hard on could we forecast if a person in a nasal swab, uh, gold standard PCR test um, being given every day, whether or not we could tell if they were getting the flu before they actually had any symptoms. Uh, so this was all in work from years ago, then COVID hit, right? And I'm reading the early literature as everybody else is up all night, you know, reading 20 papers when you're supposed to be doing your other work, uh, everything coming out and, you know, and thinking early on, like, I wonder, you know, it looks like this could be spread, you know, when you don't even think you're sick. And so we, uh, then the IRB, the Institute Review Board, shut down all of our human subject studies, shut down the work we were doing with influenza in New York, with Columbia and HHS. And so we're like, okay, what are we going to do now? Uh, guess what? We're going to do viral infection forecasting for COVID. Uh, so quickly started writing proposals and trying to get everything um, redone for that. We redid uh, algorithms, software, hardware, at Empatica, everything. Everybody was just working constantly. And now we've launched a, a device that's out there. It's currently called Aura, A-U-R-A. I, I, don't, I don't know if I mean for it to stand for anything. I think of it as are you risk assessed? Because it's giving me an indication of if I'm high risk, medium risk, or low risk based on these patterns of physiology uh, it's, um, you know, that we have seen change when you know, your PCR the next day is gonna say you're sick. We've heard from cybersecurity experts that the healthcare industry is, is one of the leading targets for cyber mischief. How is data security and privacy being addressed in the wearable segment? Great question. There is a lot of effort to protect people's privacy, especially because health data is really sensitive. And I also work with mental health data, which is especially sensitive. And in some countries, having a condition where you have unusual electrical brain activity and neurological event like a seizure is, can stigmatize your whole family, get you kicked out of school, which is ridiculous, right? Because anybody with a brain can have this. Uh, but these kinds of uh, bad judgments by people of other people because of their health happen. So we need to protect people's health data. Uh, so what's happening is a lot of different things. There's different kinds of security, encryption, different kinds of federated learning and other kinds of new techniques that are coming out with not just differential privacy, but ways of uh, doing some of the machine learning on board, some of the machine learning in the cloud and being very careful what's sent back and forth so that in the cloud, they can't tell uh, what disease you have, um, but locally we can still provide you with a personalized alert uh, or other personalized information that you might want to have so that you can have better control over your health. 
Oh, also, there's a whole other approach we're doing too um, at MIT right now, which is uh, running the machine learning in a way that's designed not only to uh, to detect something, you know, like detect a particular biomarker, but to simultaneously show that it's not good at detecting who you are. So to obfuscate your identity. Uh, so it's kind of the opposite of usually machine learning, we're trying to identify something. Here, we're actually trying to de-identify something very important, which is who you are. What trends or developments in the wearable sector should investors and innovators watch for in the coming year? Uh, they should absolutely be looking at the revolution that's happening in wearables and medicine. Uh, not just on the consumer side, but really with clinical trials, with pharma, with diagnostics, with the recognition that the pill is this you know, big blunt instrument, usually given when you're sick. The wearable with medical quality data is able to start uh, tracking the things that may keep you well and that may also, um, in combination with another treatment, lead to a better outcome. So the pharma companies are finally really recognizing the value of this. Um, just for example, a lot of drugs interact with mental health or interact with sleep. And the wearable that has medical quality data in it can give you insight into these personalized changes that can allow tuning of the treatment, hopefully so that it's not this one size fits all that never fits you, right? But something that actually fits exactly what you need. Dr. Rosalind Picard, professor at the MIT Media Lab, co-founder of Effectiva, and co-founder and chief scientist and chairman of Empatica. Thanks so much for joining us, Rosalind. If somebody wants to connect with you, maybe they want to find out more about your work, what's the best way they can do that? Uh, they can find me on uh, several places, LinkedIn, Twitter, uh, media.mit.edu, and empatica.com. Thanks again for joining us. And find more of my interviews right here on YouTube, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or at tanyahall.net. Thanks for watching.